we're going to start a new series, a short little three-week series uh, for Thanksgiving called Thrive. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. That all sounds like good stuff, doesn't it? Sounds pretty simple, a lot of fun, the Christian thing to do. <clears throat> and of course, as we've often said, simple doesn't mean easy. Thrive. The word thrive means to grow or develop well or vigorously, not just make it, but, but to, uh, to overflow in it, to flourish, to prosper, or to bloom. Throw that one in for Cassie and her group. Uh, one, of the, one of the synonyms for thrive is to bloom. The idea behind this series is that we thrive when we rejoice, pray, and give thanks. We all want to do those things. The catch in this, and there's always the catch, right? The catch is that as we read the scripture about these three things, there's an extra word that gets thrown in. Those are, those are, adjut uh, those are verbs and, and an adverb gets thrown in which e with each one of these words that complicates the situation. So we're going to look at that. We all want to thrive. We all want to have, jo have joy. We all want to prosper. We all want to flourish. Many of you know the passage of Scripture from which I took this particular idea. It appears in the writing of the Apostle Paul, a letter that he wrote to a church in northern Greece in a city that was then called Thessalonica. It's called Thessaloniki or Something shorter than that, I forget. But Thessaloniki is the, the word I heard when I was over there. Thessalonica was a, a pagan city known for its immoral climate. Not an easy place to be a Jesus follower. Among the topics, you know, if you were to read this book that we're going to read in, uh, part of in a minute, uh, Paul would discuss living to please God and loving others and the fate of believers and the return of Jesus and all kinds of things like that. And then as he comes down to the close of this letter that he wrote to this church, he lists a number of just basics of the Christian life, some encouraging things uh, that we need to do. And so we're going to begin in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 15, uh, leading up to the three verses we'll take a look at over the next three weeks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Verse 13, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. That last phrase, live in peace with each other, I'm like, that's what all Christian leaders just mainly want of everybody. Just get along with each other. You know, everybody just live at peace with each other. Verse 14. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. This, those are just pretty good practical things, aren't they? Verse 15, make sure, and this is kind of, you know, it's kind of the, the focal point of Christianity, really. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but... Notice this, always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Always, you know, if you're wondering in something that you're getting ready to do, should I do this or should I not do this? Is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? Always strive to do what's good for each other, not just for me, but for you as well and for everybody else. And then we come to the big three, verse 16. Rejoice always. Verse 17, pray. 
Continually is the adverb there, right? And finally, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And there they are. The three big statements that we're going to discuss over the next three weeks. Each one of these, uh, rejoice, pray, and give thanks, is an imperative. That is, it's a command. But it's not a wave your finger in somebody else's face kind of a command. It's not a uh, do it or die, do it or go to hell kind of a command. Uh, But if you want to thrive this Thanksgiving... Here's three things that you need to work on doing. Now, remember this. If God puts a command in Scripture, uh, number one, he does it because he loves you, because he loves all of us. And if we do what God commands, uh, it's always better for us. And number two, if God commands something, it's possible. When you get into these things, they almost seem impossible. Uh, But if God says do it, it can be done. So we're going to start with that first phrase as the the topic for today, which are these two words, rejoice always. Two words constitute the shortest verse in the Bible. See, you thought Jesus wept. If you've been reading the Bible all your life, you you thought Jesus wept was the shortest verse in the Bible. That's the shortest verse in the English Bible. These two Greek words are the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. In the original language, the Greek language, those words are actually reversed. It's always rejoice, which gives you the idea that, that you're not really doing it unless you do it all the time. And if I had to have everybody who rejoices all the time raise your hand, there wouldn't be one single hand in the air today. That's what makes it hard because if you're going to do this, it's not just rejoice sometimes. It's not just rejoice every once in a while. It's not just rejoice when you feel like it. But it's always, uh, that adverb, it just kind of messes the whole thing up. Always rejoice. It's easy to rejoice sometimes. It's easy to rejoice in the good times. It's easy to rejoice in the when things are going well times. But that first word is always. Always rejoice. Regardless of the circumstances, in all circumstances, no matter what happens, rejoice. Joy is an overwhelming, overwhelming optimism that's not related to circumstances. It's something that is within us because of our, our relationship with God that causes us to see positive even when all there is around us is negative. Sometimes we differentiate uh, joy from happiness. Uh, happiness is a temporary euphoria that comes from circumstances where joy is... Uh, is an optimism, an overwhelming optimism that comes only from God. But how can you have joy when you lose your job and you can't pay your bills? How can you have joy in that situation? How can you have joy when you're diagnosed with a serious illness and the future doesn't look particularly bright? How can you have joy when someone you love dies or divorces you? or in some other way leaves you or rejects you. Not easy. But that's, that's what the verse is all about. It's to the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. Always rejoice, but it's, it's a powerful thing. The word rejoice, by the way, I don't need to give you the, the, uh, the Greek word for that, but the word rejoice 
in the Greek language was the common greeting that one Christian would say to another Christian. Uh, when they met each other, they would say this word, rejoice. Instead of, hi, how are you? What's up? They'd say rejoice. Now, when Jewish people met, they would say what? Shalom. Shalom, right? Which meant peace. And if you're in Hawaii, what do you say? Aloha. Yeah. So we know some of those words. And Christians, when they met, said this Greek word, uh, which happens to be kairete. But they would say kairete. That means rejoice. You know, no matter what's happening, they would say rejoice because Jesus rose from the dead. And that's something to rejoice about even when everything else is going wrong. Now, if you read through Scripture, by the way, sometimes the Bible, the English Bible does a terrible job of getting certain words over, you know. They translate it with things like, all hail, what does that mean? Greeting. Now, why didn't they just translate it rejoice, which is what the word means. That's the first thing that Jesus is recorded in saying, you know, the women that came looking for him after he had died, the first word that came out of his mouth was kairete, rejoice, I'm here, you know, I've resurrected from uh, the, the grave. We, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about how that we're not under the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, but, but we're under the law of grace. You know why we worship on Sundays? There's no thou shalt worship on Sunday command in the Bible anywhere. Sunday is not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. Always has been, always will be. You know why we worship on Sunday? Not because we're commanded to, but because we love Jesus. And because Kairete, rejoice, he rose from the dead. It's all, that's why we get together every single Sunday morning. Now, a couple things about rejoice, about always rejoice. The first is this, the command to rejoice is prevalent in the New Testament. Throughout Scripture, Jesus, from Jesus all the way to the end of the Bible, the command to rejoice is prevalent. Jesus got it started with that famous mountain sermon of his that's recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Matthew 5, 11 and 12 say this, blessed, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things because of me. Well, maybe I could just you know, moderate the blessing a little bit, not have to go through that stuff. That's the way we feel about that, right? But Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me, because of Jesus. And what are you supposed to do? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. That word be glad could, could be translated jump for joy, by the way. And in fact, in, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 23, another version of this uh, there's a different word there, and it means just that. Rejoice and jump for joy because you were insulted, persecuted, and people say all kind of bad things about you. Rejoice, jump for joy because. Now, we don't get the why or how. We're going to get to the how a little bit later. But the why, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, that doesn't cover all the whys. But that's one of the whys that we can rejoice if we're trying to do the right thing and bad things happen because great is your reward in heaven. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot and on the eve before he was crucified the next day, 
as recorded by John in his account of the life of Jesus, John's Gospel, chapter 13 through 17, Jesus mentions joy and being full of joy eight times in those chapters. It's remarkable that on the eve of his greatest suffering and on the eve of his followers' lowest point in their life, Jesus says, rejoice, rejoice. In John 13, uh, you know, he washed their feet and he said, take care of each other. In John 14, he started with the words, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, in my father's house, there are many mansions or many rooms in the big house. And then in John 15, he says this, John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. It's about joy. He said, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The apostle Peter gets a little bit in his writings in the New Testament. He gets a little bit into the why. First Peter chapter one, verse six, Peter wrote this. In all this, the stuff that we're talking about, you greatly rejoice. All about Jesus, you rejoice in that though for now, a little, oh, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You're rejoicing in the great things about God and his resurrection and eternal life and, and, and you know all getting together in heaven one day. Though now for a little while, there might be some things that aren't so great. You may have to suffer for a while. Participation in suffering is one of the things that, that grows us up. And we wish we didn't have to do that. A little later in that same letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he wrote this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. It's, this happens, you know. We live in a broken world. And, it, and if you're countercultural, and Christianity is countercultural, and if you're trying to do the right thing, good things are not always going to happen. So what should we do? Verse 13, Peter said, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Because there's great joy that lies ahead. There's, there's a lot of joy right now, but there's great joy that lies ahead. Paul was the follower of Jesus whose sufferings are most detailed in Scripture. We know more about the bad things that happened to Paul than anybody else. And he describes himself in this really interesting way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, he describes himself as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Isn't that interesting? Sorrowful but always rejoicing. He's got all these bad things. See, people threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. Sorrowful yet still rejoicing. They took whips and beat him until they thought he was dead. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Uh, they rejected him. They said bad things about him. All that stuff that Jesus talked about. He said, I'm sorrowful. No sorrow surrounds me, but I'm still full of joy because of what Jesus had done. At one point, he stated this, Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Uh, he's going through some things, but he's doing it for them. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. That is, I feel like I'm, I'm participating. If Jesus suffered, I feel like I'm getting to do the same thing for you, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul's greatest letter of joy, and maybe the, the greatest book of joy in the entire Bible is called the book of Philippians, written to the church at Philippi. And the interesting thing about this book called Philippians, just four little chapters, 
The interesting thing about it is that Paul was in jail in Rome when he wrote it. And ultimately, he would be executed in Rome under Nero. But 16 times in this little short letter that he wrote, 16 times he uses the term joy or rejoice, either referring to his own joy or encouraging the people in Philippi to rejoice. One verse, and then we're going to move on to the big question. Philippians 3.1, further my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I'm going to say this again, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Now, let's move on. In that same letter that Paul wrote, we're going to move on to my favorite chapter in the Bible and learn a lesson uh, to answer this big question, and the question is this, how? How? Can I rejoice? All right, I know I should do that. And I know I haven't. And I raise my hand. I know I haven't always done that. So how? How am I supposed to rejoice? How can I rejoice when unhappy things happen in my life? How can I rejoice in the worst of times? I, I can handle it in the best of times. But how can I handle it in the worst of times? Well, Paul gives us an answer in the final chapter of his letter entitled Philippians, my favorite chapter. And I want to suggest this statement to you. It is not possible to always rejoice if your focus is in the wrong place. So it has to do with your focus, what dominates your thoughts. Where, where are you focusing your thoughts? If you go through life focusing on your problems, you will not be able to always rejoice. If you are preoccupied with your challenges and your difficulties, you will not always be able to rejoice. If your primary focus is on yourself and who you are and what you have or what you don't have, you're liable to lose your joy altogether. If the driving force of your life is your own comfort and making money, you will not rejoice most of the time. If your focus is in the wrong place, it's impossible to rejoice always. So Paul begins like this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, he's in, a, he's in jail, right? He's in jail. Therefore, my brothers and sisters there in northern Greece, who, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my joy and my reward, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Therefore, because of what he said in the past, because you're saved by the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, because of all these things, therefore, notice that he said, my joy the greatest joy I have is not me, and it's not what I accomplish, but it's you and the fact that you have turned toward Christ yourself. And so he says to them, stand firm in the Lord. Now, Paul calls the church to do that because it's only in our relationship with Jesus Christ that we can stand. We can't stand firm in our own abilities. We can't stand firm in our own accomplishments. We can't stand firm even in our own human relationships. We can only stand firm in the Lord. It's easy to defect when we take our eyes off Jesus and pay attention to our problems and our failures and our disappointments and all the things in life 
So he said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Verse 2, something strange. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, these are women, female names. Evidently, they were prominent women in the church at Philippi, and evidently they had done great things for God. These two women, Euodia and Syntyche. In the next verse, Paul acknowledges that they were wonderful women. But something had happened. And they were at odds with each other. And they were fighting it out. And it was disrupting the entire church. The New Living Translation translates that verse. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please because you belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement. Get over it, ladies. Please put that aside. I wonder why Paul put this in this particular place. Perhaps it was because he was thinking about their focus. You have, your focus has to be in the Lord. Your focus has to be on Christ. But you know what you're focusing on? That woman did me wrong. And she ain't getting away with it. Right? That's what the problem was. Their focus was on their own issues. And I've been wronged. I've been hurt. Bad things have happened to me. Get your focus on Christ. So Paul said, help these women get their focus back where it's supposed to be because they're really good women. And they've done some great things. Verse 3, yes, and I asked you, my true companion. We don't know who the true companion was, woman or man. He says, yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel. They were right there with me, ready to suffer, ready to do anything. Along with Clement, a, a well-known pastor in the first century, and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And then he gets to the verse, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going say it again. Rejoice. When our focus is on anything other than our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, there can be no joy. Another statement here. When you remain focused on Jesus, you can rejoice in the Lord always. It's a matter of focus. Do you believe in God? Do you believe God's in control? It's hard, I know. Do you believe that God's always going to do the right thing? Do you believe that God's always going to meet the need that comes into your life? When Jesus, remember that night when Jesus was betrayed and then he was crucified the next day, all of his followers lost their focus. Instead of focusing on Jesus and on the fact that he was the very son of God and on the promises that he had made, they began to focus on their apparent defeat and on the enormity of their problems. In their eyes, nothing good could possibly happen again. Jesus had been crucified. The one they loved the most was gone. Nothing good can happen. All was lost. Now, the reality of that situation was that all had been won and that God's plan was being carried out and that the millions and millions who had ever come to Christ were won on that particular day. But all they could see was defeat. Whereas if they had thought about Jesus and the promises of Jesus and who he was and who he is, they could have rejoiced the entire time until they really found out what was going on. Any problem in our life, no matter how big or how small, can steal our joy from us if we focus on the problem 
Ever done that? I sure have. I've done it fairly recently. I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying I'm not waving my finger at you here. I'm just saying this is the way we do it. Have you ever lost your focus and focused on the problem and let it kind of blow everything else up? I'm not going to give you any real serious examples, but many years ago when we first moved to Pensacola, we lived in, we lived in Myrtle Grove on 52nd Avenue, right up the road from the post office, and, and we lived in a big house church, owned by the church. Biggest garage I've ever, I mean, that was nice. You know, you could park two cars in there and still have a workshop in that garage. I missed, I missed the garage uh, from that house. But one of the issues we had with that house was because of the layout of the neighborhood, there was a kind of a street that came up to some apartments behind us. People would just cut right straight through our yard to get to the street in front of our house. I'm not talking about out in the field somewhere. I'm talking about right under the bedroom window. At 2 o'clock in the morning, cars would be driving by. You could reach out and touch those cars. I had got all about I could take of that nonsense, right? People driving through my yard at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so I got out there and I put some fence posts up. Now, they could run over those fence posts, but I figured, so, hey, pretty good. All right, kind of the cars weren't coming through there anymore. One day, Brad and Todd went to school, and I'm sure Gene was home with me, but I was homesick. Two kids on dirt bikes started cutting through my yard because they could go right in between those fence posts. They came through, you know. I'm laying in my bed sick right outside the, bar, the, the window. Well, maybe they won't do They came back through again. About the third time, I said, that's it? That is it. I'm not putting up with this kind of stuff. I don't have to put up with this, you know. They don't belong in this yard. And I went out in the garage. I was pretty sick. And I found me a piece of lumber. And the biggest, longest screws and nails that I could find, and I ran them through that piece of lumber so that I had this piece of lumber about that long and nails and screws sticking up about that high. And I took it outside and stuck it in, between, in there where those guys were going to come right through there. And I said, this is going to get them when they come through. I can't wait until one of them blows his tires up and they'll suffer for the way they're treating me. I went back in and I laid down in bed and I thought, boy, that was a stupid thing to do. Because number one, some kid's liable to get hurt. And number two, I'm in trouble. If those kids get hurt, I don't care if they're cutting through my yard or not. And I ran out there and got that piece of board and put it back. I lost my focus for a while, you know. For a while, this became all about, you can't do that to me. You can't treat me that way. I've got rights. I should, you know, I, I, I live in this place. I pay taxes on the money that's, you know, I would have gotten if I was getting paid for living in this place. So I kind of lost my joy there for a little while. Lost my joy talking about it some, but anyway. How can we maintain our joy? Well, the answer is right there in the text. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Just restating that instead of focusing on your problem, remain focused on Jesus. It's hard. It's not easy. In the flesh, we want to do something else. Now, when... We have reason, and sometimes we do. When we have reason to be anxious, worried, mad, stressed out, what do we do? Well, notice what Paul says as we continue 
in the next few verses there. I'm sure he wanted Euodia and Sintike to hear this, to pay attention. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, he said this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Hmm. What's that about? Let your gentleness. Well, first of all, it's not about me, right? It's about all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, first thing you do is you focus on other people instead of yourself. Or we'll put it like this. First, practice loving others. Right? First thing you do, practice loving others. First, let your gentleness be evident to everybody. First, instead of focusing on this is my rights and, and, and this shouldn't happen to me and I shouldn't have to go through this, first, focus on somebody other than yourself and the way you're treating them. And then, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Instead of worrying and being mad, and all, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, that is, go and talk to God, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so the first thing is practice loving others, and the second thing is, second, with a thankful attitude. Now, I highlighted thankful because that's what we lack a lot of times. With a thankful attitude, take your anger, your frustrations, your heartaches, and your worries to God in prayer. Number one, practice loving others. Then number two, with a thankful attitude, take whatever those negative emotions are, and we all have them, to God in prayer. Now, the Thanksgiving part, it would probably help when you're feeling good to make a list of all the good things in your life. And then you can go look at that list <laughs> before you talk to God about your frustrations sometimes. And you can be thankful for those things and then talk to God and say, this is really bothering me, this shouldn't happen. You know, whatever you want to say to God, it's okay. It's okay. God's way bigger than me. You can go say anything you want to to him. But it's helpful if you go over the list of the good things in your life, although sometimes you can't think of any. That's the reason it's a good thing to make a list now. And what's going to happen? Well, here's the promise of Paul, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It's, you can't understand how you could have peace in the situation. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Both your peace and your joy are found in your relationship with Jesus Christ in the Lord, right? That's why Paul doesn't just say, rejoice always, you know, be happy. He doesn't say, just say rejoice always. He says rejoice in the Lord always because that is the only way it is possible to rejoice always. By the way, those followers of Jesus that kind of lost their focus when he was betrayed and crucified, they lost all their joy when they shifted their focus from Jesus to their problems. Found out when they shifted their focus back from their problems to Jesus, they had a change of heart. And this is one of the evidences, by the way, that Jesus really did resurrect from the dead. One of these days, not too distant future, we'll talk about that. About the evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But one of those evidences is the big change. These people gave up and quit. And three days later, they changed their mind because Jesus appeared to them. 
at the very end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse 15, talking about these same people that had given up on Jesus. Verse 50 says, when he, that is when Jesus had led them, these people that gave up on him, out to the vicinity of Bethany, a, a village outside of Jerusalem, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Verse 51, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. It's described again in the book of Acts, but he left them, was taken up into heaven. What did they do? Verse 52, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. He was gone and they were by themselves, but now they were focusing on him instead of defeat. Verse 53, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. All they wanted to do was just praise God. And a, a while later, when they were beaten up for telling other people about Jesus, Acts chapter 5 and verse 51 says this, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Because they got beat up for Jesus. And they were happy. They considered it to be a wonderful privilege and they rejoiced in that. God does not promise us a trouble-free journey through this life to heaven. He doesn't promise you're never going to have a toothache and you're never going to have a tragedy in your life. But he does offer to never leave us or forsake us and to fill our hearts with joy as we stay focused on him. When we stay focused on Jesus, it is possible to rejoice always. I'm not saying I have done it 100% of the time, and I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm saying, together, we need to work on this, right? In, rejoice in the Lord, always. So if a loved one dies, you're able to rejoice in the Lord for the precious times that you're able to spend together. In addition, you can have the assurance that you will be together again in the future. If you're facing a sickness and you remain focused on Jesus, you're able to rejoice in the Lord for the good times and the good health that you've enjoyed in life. You're able to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of that sickness because he's with you and he comforts you and he blesses you and people around you love you and there is a better day coming. If you face a financial setback, you can rejoice in the fact that God will always meet your needs. He's always met them in the past, and when you serve him, he's going to continue to meet them, and it may not be everything you want it to be. And things may not turn out every way you had thought they might, but he will continually be with you. So, instead of focusing on your problem, remain focused on Jesus. If you don't get anything else, think about that. Instead of focusing on your problem, remain focused on Jesus. And... When you have a reason to be anxious, worried, or stressed out, two things. Number one, first, practice loving others. First, quit thinking about yourself so much. And practice loving others. Let your gentleness be obvious to other people. And number two, second, and with a thankful attitude, take all your anger, frustrations, heartaches, and worries to God in prayer. And next week... We're going to talk about pray always. And let's pray together right now. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus and for life. You care about us. You love us. Things don't always go our way. I don't like that. I like things to go my way. 
forgive me for the fact that I have taken my eyes off you sometimes when things weren't going my way. I know that to honor you, I need to honor others and think more about them than I think about me. Thank you for being here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.